Howard. <laughs> okay, welcome everybody. We are on our second portion of chapter 42, which is page 530. We're, we're continuing our discussion about developing a genuine sense of reverence for God, at least the lower level of reverence for God, where I can appreciate how real God is. Even if I don't feel it in my heart, at least I can appreciate it with my mind. And we said this is something everybody could feel because we all have a spark of Moses within us. And that spark of Moses within us connects us with the trait of da'as. Da'as is literally translated as knowledge, but what it really means is not the acquisition of knowledge, but, my, but the relevance of the knowledge. In other words, look at the word da'as, knowledge, not as a adjective or a noun, but look at it as a verb. I am connecting, I'm actively knowing, making it a part of myself. Das means to make God, or to know God, means to make God relevant, right? When Adam and Eve were first intimate with one another, the Torah says that they knew each other. They were intimate with each other. To know each other means to be intimate with each other. To know God is to be intimate with God. If I want to feel God, to feel some level of reverence, or at least an intellectual reverence, appreciation, I need das. I need to be intimate with him. I have to make him real. And what enables me to do that is the Moses within me. Um, take a look on the bottom of 530. It's the second to last bold paragraph of the page. It says the potential to acquire this attribute of Da'as through meditative work, to connect your Da'as with God, which means to make God meaningful, is within the ability of every soul in the house of Israel. Everybody can do this. We can all do it. Why? It doesn't matter how smart you are. It's something we have ingrained within our souls by virtue of the energy which is drawn from the soul of Moshe, our teacher of blessed memory. Now, he makes it sound so easy. Why is it so difficult? And he explains. Take a look on the bottom. We'll explain. This will make sense. Only despite this inherent potential of your soul connection with Moses' soul, since your soul is placed into your body, top of 531, an enormously, an enormously great and intense effort is required, doubled and redoubled to tap into that potential. We all have the ability to feel connected, to feel reverence, to make God real, and to feel it. We do. But what's holding us back is the body. In other words, our souls get it. If you were to interview your soul, <laughs> if we were to interview the soul, it wouldn't have any doubts. It gets it. And it can easily feel connected just by meditating. But the soul is in this life journey together with the body. They're merged together. And we referred to this in JLI a few weeks ago as inintentional blindness. Because the soul's in a body, it doesn't get to see everything. It doesn't get to see everything that it, that it could on its own. It has a very limited vision. A very limited um, ability to sense. Our ability to sense life is so limited. 
It's actually crazy. We judge things. Everything is basically judged on how I get to experience it. How do I understand it? How, do I, how does it feel to me? How does it taste? And anything beyond that is just, is just faith. We're just so limited. That's why when we say Shema, by the way, God is one, we cover our eyes. Because to really appreciate this, we have to realize that our senses can't get us there. This is a connection which is way beyond our own senses. And that's why he says to really appreciate this, as we just read on the top of 531, we're going to need an intense effort doubled and redoubled. We can feel connected, but we're going to have to put in a little bit of work. And he's going to take us through the meditative process, uh, at least uh, briefly. Now, the other option is wait to get inspired, right? But there ain't nobody got time for that, as we say. <laughs> There's no <laughs> waiting to get inspired isn't, isn't a good idea. Because number one, how long am I going to wait for? Number two, how long is that going to last? The whole um, premise of the Tanya is... There is no time to wait to get inspired. It has to become real. It has to become real to us. We need to put in the work. Can inspiration, it can be from trauma or it could be from bliss, either one? Um, yeah, I would say motivation could be. I guess mm -hmm. motivation and inspiration are interchangeable. Mm -hmm. Can it be from the das, the knowledge, from the insight of the trauma that gives you energy? Interesting, interesting. That could be, that could be. But, but so, the idea is, you know, I could wait till God forbid uh, I almost get hit by a bus to, to start getting all involved in Judaism. I can wait till Yom Kippur, where I'm very emotional, or wait till a child's wedding where it's a really spiritual moment. I could wait for these moments in my life whether it be traumatic, whether it be joyous, whether it be solemn, whether it be uh, um, somber, whatever that moment is. But we have a book right here that's going to walk us through the process of creating that moment without the trauma. Which means even when I'm not feeling traumatized anymore, I can still be inspired. It, there's a this will create a sense of independence. To be codependent on trauma is not a, not a healthy thing. Yeah. You have to wait for a plane crash or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. God forbid, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> now, there's a doubled and redoubled effort required and there's going to be two angles that we need to um, address to allow us to experience inspiration, to allow us to, to experience um, a meaningful Judaism, to make God real. Number one, um, check, take a look in the middle of page 531. Number one, the bold paragraph. Firstly, is the effort with your body. So 
and take a look on before we explain that let's take a look at the second one just to put things in the in the uh, in context here the bottom of 531 secondly there is the effort with the willpower of your soul so there's two things we need to do take a step back we want to experience a relationship with god that's meaningful and in this context we want to experience reverence meaningfully more genuinely and we can, because our soul is, uh, is innately connected and our soul innately has that da'as because of Moses. But our body is obstructing. So there's two things we need to do. We need to give, we need to um, not allow the body to get into the, in the way. That's number one. Number two, we need to add more fire to the soul. Okay, we're going to address both of these. Let's start with number one. Back to the middle of the page, 531. Firstly, there's the effort with your body in two ways. Number one, to and take this with a grain of salt, and I'll explain what this means, to crush the body by reducing your enjoyment of pleasures in this world. And number two, to subdue it with humbling thoughts that the body won't eclipse the soul's light. In chapter 29, we gave an analogy. And actually, he, he re-references the analogy here. You want to light a log on fire, right? You want to make a bonfire. And if the wood is too thick, if it's too thick of a wood, it's not always going to catch on fire. You light the match and it just doesn't go, right? So what do you need to do? You got to start, you got to soften up the wood a little bit. You got to splinter it. When you splinter the wood, you're not destroying the wood. You are building the wood you're making the wood more receptive. Now it can catch fire. And that's the, the Zohar says that this is an analogy for the body and soul dynamic. If your body is not appreciating the soul, is not expressing the soul, not connecting with the soul, it could be that it's too thick. It's desensitized. So splintering it a little bit with the intention specifically of making it more receptive, not God forbid for the sake of uh, destruction or affliction, um, can be a healthy thing. The idea is, the idea is we're not here to God forbid beat ourselves up. That's not the point. The point isn't to beat ourselves up. The point is though, that our arrogance can very much get in the way of our soul. or put in more contemporary terms, our selves, our desires can get in the way of our purpose, our mission. What I want, what I want, what I feel that I need and what I needed for can be at odds with one another. And humbling myself to realize that it's not about me, right? Ask not what your country can do for you. What can you do for your country? Realizing that it really is not so much about me as much as what I'm needed for can make me a little bit more receptive. And if you look back in, in chapter 29, we gave about five or six different meditations um, to, to, to ponder, to think about. But that's number one. Number one is addressing the body's perspective. What can I do to become more receptive 
to shift the focus of life from being on me to, to, to what I'm about. Realizing that the soul, that, that the soul's purpose is here to actually how, sorry, the body's purpose is there to house the soul. And if my body is not housing my soul, if my body's obstructing my soul, I'm misaligned, well then I need some humility because that's an arrogant thing. It's inevitable because we're human, but it's arrogant. And if I want to experience the truth as the soul sees it, I have to align the body with the soul, AKA become more receptive, become more humble. There was a, a mashpia. Are you familiar with the term mashpia? Mm -hmm. A mashpia is a, a mentor basically a mentor in uh, yeshivas they have different you know you have different positions you have the teacher you have the principal you have the head of school the the rosh yeshiva and you have a mashpia a mashpia is basically a mentor somebody who's there to, to spiritually guide people guide students it's important that everybody has a mashpia somebody who they can ask guidance from and there was a famous um it's like an informal guidance counselor it's not about guiding you in terms of uh what your career is going to be or whatever it is but more about what what, what is life all about um and there was a famous mashpia in israel in kfar chabad which is a chabad village in israel kfar chabad his name was Reb Shloyma Chaim Kesselman. Reb Shloyma Chaim Kesselman was um, at some point an elderly person and he had various health complications. And the doctors prescribed for him a, a very limited, a, a very specific diet and a very specific sleep schedule, which was very uncomfortable. The part of his diet consisted of foods that really didn't have much taste. I guess no salt, I don't know what it was. Um, his sleep schedule, he had some surgery and, and he wasn't able to sleep in a very elevated way. He had to be very flat with no pillows and he, it was very uncomfortable. And he was once holding a Fabrengen, an informal gathering, a talk, chatting with people about the meaning of life. And he says, something's wrong here. When the Tanya tells us, or when Torah tells us that indulgence is bad for the soul, we believe it because Torah said it, but do we really care? Let's be honest, right? <laughs> When we're told indulgence is bad for the soul, do we really care? Yeah, indulging in things that we shouldn't be. Now, the doctor says indulgence is bad for my body. All of a sudden, I care. So which one is more important to me? <laughs> he says, I've been living my whole life without even realizing it. As if the body were to be more important than the soul. He had a Tanya moment. At that moment, he realized a shift needs to occur. I want to experience the soul. 
the body has to become humble, humbled by being put in its place. That's number one. That's step number one. If we want to experience the soul, putting the body in its place, reorienting ourselves. What are we all about? What is our drive? What is my body here for? And even if in practice, we're not yet there at the point where we're ready to make big changes, but at least a perspective change. Let's know the truth. Let's be honest with the truth. I'll tell you another great story. Actually, with Rabbi Shlomo Chaim Kessman, with the same rabbi, there was a, um, a yeshiva student who had wanted to daven. A meaningful davening, not just say the words, you know. I had a friend once, he said, I didn't have time to daven today, so I just said the words. Um, <laughs> he wanted to daven and feel it. And however much he would push himself, he couldn't get himself to feel, feel the soul, feel God, feel the relationship. So he said, asked Reb Shlomo Chaim Kesselman, said, Reb Shlomo, what do I do? So he says, I'll give you an analogy. Imagine you have a soldier who just came back from battle. Imagine how hungry he is, right? And he goes to a bagel shop. And he orders a bagel and he wolfs it down. And he's, this guy burnt a lot of calories, right? It doesn't have to be a soldier. It could be a, a bodybuilder. And he's somebody who burnt, burnt a lot of calories recently, right? He wolfs down a bagel. That's not enough for him. He's hungry. He's hungry. He orders a second bagel. Okay, he's still hungry. A third bagel. He's still hungry. A fourth bagel. Finally, his fifth bagel. Ah, now I'm full. It gets time to pay. And they charge him for five bagels. And he says, wait a minute. It was only the fifth bagel that filled me up. <laughs> I, I want to pay for the, for the fifth bagel only. And the guy behind the counter says, no, 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 no. You got to pay for all the bagels. The fifth bagel filled you up because you had four bagels beforehand. If you just started from the fifth bagel, that would have been your first bagel. It wouldn't have done the job. So he says, it's the same thing with davening. It's the same thing with our service to God. We put in the effort. We don't feel like we made it anywhere. We put on the effort. We, we don't feel like we got anywhere. We put in even more effort. And eh, eventually we get to feel, we feel some sort of a little bit of inspiration, a little bit of light, a little bit of joy, a little bit of love, a little bit of reverence. We feel something, a little bit of connection. We feel something. Now that we feel something, we say, okay, why didn't I just start there in the first place? <laughs> right? They say when you're looking for something, it's always in the last place you look. <laughs> okay, so that's number one. The reason why I mentioned that story, even if we're not ready to make an actual change, a perspective change alone is helpful. At least it's the first bagel, the second bagel, the third bagel, eventually. We we'll make that change to reorient. What is our lives all about? What are we all about? Okay. Questions, thoughts, comments, controversy. All okay, about good. What? <laughs> all about bagels. I'm all about the bagels. Bagels about... and Diet Coke. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Number two. The second thing is the effort with our soul. It's not sufficient to remove what is obstructing the soul. 
well, not remove, but, but uh, I should say work with that which is obstructing the soul of the body, make it more receptive. We actually have to work with the soul itself, right? The bottom of 531. Secondly, there is the cell, there is the effort with the willpower of the soul to train your will, your soul to follow God. And what do we gain from that? What happens when our soul is more engaged? Take a look on the top of bottom of 531 and then top of 532. So that worship shouldn't be a bother for you. Often, one of the indications that I'm uninspired or that I'm lacking reverence or that I'm lacking a feeling of connection, I'm lacking kavana, is when our worship, when our um, engagement in Judaism feels burdensome as opposed to meaningful, as opposed to feeling meaningful. So, so then we need to engage the soul better. Um, reflecting on the Haggadah, as Passover is coming up. In the Haggadah, we introduce the story of Passover by discussing four sons and their perspective on Judaism. There's so much insight on that alone, right? We say the wise son, what does he say? The wicked son, what does he say? The simple son, what does he say? The son who doesn't know how to ask, what does he say? We introduce the, five, the four sons. The wicked son, what is his question? Does anybody remember? Something like, if it's not for me, how does that go? If it's not for me, I can't remember. His, his, he actually asks a very, a very uh, he asks a pretty good question. What is this service that you guys are doing? And the commentaries say, well, wait a minute. His question is very similar to the wise son, right? What are these mitzvahs that you are doing? What is this service that you're doing? He wants to know, why are we calling him wicked? Why are we labeling him? He asked a good question. Okay, well, if you analyze the, the question, you could see where his cynicism lies. The wise son said, what are these mitzvahs? That was his question. The wicked son said, what is this service? The word service, avodah, can also mean burden. What is this burden that you guys are doing? Why are you burdening yourself? Why are you making this a bother? Why are you making your life difficult? Why do you have to do this to yourself? The, the wise son sees value, whereas the wicked son doesn't see value. He devalues it. Exactly. He sees it as a burden, not as a value. Exactly, exactly. And the reason why he sees it as a burden, not as a value, is exactly what we're saying here. He needs to work on his soul. You need to work on his soul. Right? How do we work on the soul? Okay, the soul is there, by the way. We're not saying that he needs a soul. <laughs> the soul is very much present. The soul is very much present, but it needs a little bit of work. And here's the work. Let's continue reading on 532. Practically speaking, the second line of the page, this also has two elements. Number one, you should put a lot of effort into deep mindful meditation of God's greatness. 
So if we're feeling that Judaism is burdensome, number one, like we said earlier, let's reorient what our bodies are for, remind ourselves what our bodies are for. But number two, meditate. Let's work with the soul. Let's meditate on God's greatness with effort. That takes work, by the way. Meditation takes work. Try meditating for 30 seconds on the greatness of God. And despite how great God is, how relevant he is, that takes work. How long should you meditate for? So he says this meditation should be for a long, uninterrupted period. A long and uninterrupted period of meditation. Now, the truth is, um, you've heard me say this in the past, but translations are dangerous. Um, no translation can 100% um, be 100% accurate and truly encapsulate what's going on here. In the Hebrew, it doesn't say a long um, period of meditation. It actually says a large period of meditation. If you look in the Hebrew, it says sha'agadola. Not um, a long moment, but a large moment. What? Are tehillim um, guided meditations? Or do you, is it just meditation without the tehillim part, without the guidance? Um, really just thinking about God, thinking about the greatness of God. Freestyle. Freestyle, <laughs> Freestyle meditation. But he says to do it for a, a, not a long period of time. It says long in the English, but if you translate it literally, it actually means a large period of meditation. And the reason is because the focus is not on how long it is. Don't focus on the quantity of meditation. Focus on the quality of meditation, right? Tehillim can be a meditation. It actually could be. It, it really is about King David's trust in God and realizing how God is there for him. And, you know, him realizing how God is there for him in, 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 the, in his dark times. Um, but, but thinking, taking a moment in the morning before we pray, and really it starts with Moda'ani, thanking God for our soul, thinking that God is present, God is real, and try it for 10 seconds. And the truth is, I, I hate to put a time fix to it, because take a look at the next, the next sad, uh, sentence here in the bold. No fixed time can be given, because the period of time necessary for this isn't the same for everybody. The truth is, each person's going to be different. Each person's going to need something different. For some people, they're going to think about their relationship with God for a, a minute or 10 seconds, and they're going to be on fire. And for some people, they're going to think about God for three minutes and try to really feel it and feel like they've gone nowhere until eventually a little bit, they've made a little piercing in that brick wall that they have, and they could, they could feel something. So it's, it's going to really depend on the individual. Every person's different. But meditation is so important, it's, and, and it's not an invention. The truth is it's not an invention of, of the Tanya. It's something that the Tanya emphasizes. emphasizes. But it really is a, is a traditional Torah value. Meditate on, on God. By, by the way, Sharon, you, I'm just thinking about your question. And 
The truth is, Tehillim very much is a meditation. A big chunk of the morning davening in the Siddur is a selection of Tehillim that we recite. And that Tehillim that we're reciting is supposed to serve as a meditative guide about the greatness of God, about how he treats creation and about his, his beauty and about great, how great he is, how gracious he is. So it, it most definitely is a meditation, a guided meditation. It is, 100%. And, and this will soften our bodies so that we can make connection with God to... This, this will, yeah, this will, this is like a, um, a jump start for the soul. Okay, for the energy. Right? So, yeah, so when Putting it comes to a jump start, so that the soul actually works. <laughs> exactly. It's for, so the soul works, right? But you have to have a working car. You have to have a car that has the right battery. And that's working on the body earlier. You got to work on the body. You have yeah. to have the, you know, your car has to be receptive to the jump start. But then you got to actually put in the fire, you got to put in the jump start. And that's the meditation. How much of a jump start do you need? How long do I leave the cables on? Depends on your car. Yeah. Right. And that, that's exactly what he says here. Um, there are certain souls that come from very lofty sources, spiritually lofty sources, and don't take much to inspire them. There are certain souls that come from less lofty sources and require more, um, more of a jump start. Also, it's going to depend on how much sin the individual has engaged in. Because a sin being that it's antithetical to God's will, creates a separation between us and God. Now, it doesn't create a separation between God and us. Nothing can separate between God and us. But it does create a separation between us and God. So that now we're going to require even more effort. And that's where Teshuvah comes in. Um, but so it's it's really going to depend on, on every person's going to be different. Every person's going to be different. And here's what he says. Take a look on page 533. It's the, um, I guess it's the second, it's the third paragraph on the page where it says, but, never, but nevertheless, do you see it? Okay. But nevertheless, even a feeble soul can sustain focused thoughts about God with difficulty and through persistence. So it doesn't matter, even if one soul comes from a very low spiritual source and it's stained and cluttered with sin, it can still experience God, it can still feel God. It's just gonna take more work, but we can all do this. How do we do this? Through a determined effort to focus the mind intently with profound concentration, it's putting our minds to it. Thinking deeply about the greatness of God for a prolonged period. And when we say prolonged, we mean also qualitatively, not just not necessarily quantitatively. This will definitely result in him at least acquiring the lower reverence mentioned above. I will at least feel an appreciation for how real God is, if not feel it in my heart. Right. If you look at the next, um, if you look at the next paragraph, he quotes a Talmudic adage. Um, this is a important Talmudic adage. We mentioned um, a little while ago that there were twelve Torah verses 
throughout different various Torah uh, sources, hand selected by the Lubavitcher Rebbe that he would uh, encourage children to memorize and to recite. Right? We had one of them back in chapter um, 41. This is another one. It's not actually from the Tanya. The Tanya is quoting the Talmud. It's from the Talmud. As our sages of blessed memory said, of the fruitfulness of effort, this is an important quote. If a person says, I put in a lot of effort and I haven't succeeded, don't believe him. But if he said, I put in a lot of effort and I have succeeded, believe him. Right? Success, uh, um, effort breeds success. And if it didn't breed success, that means not enough effort, right? The hard truth of life. He gives a, 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 a wonderful analogy here. The analogy he gives here is somebody who's searching for treasure. If you know there's treasure in the earth, there's a treasure box buried in the ground and you dig a foot deep and you don't see it, but you know it's there. How much more effort are you gonna put in? You know you can retire for the rest of your life. Your kids aren't gonna to have to work. You know your grandkids are going to be amply sustained if you find that treasure box and you know it's there, but you didn't see it after the first fruit of digging. How deep are you going to dig? Well, as much as it takes, I want that treasure. Right? Okay. I have a lot of dirt. <laughs> I'm covered in dirt. And I want to experience the soul because this is valuable. This is treasure. This is something I'm going to bequeath to my children, to my grandchildren and to the world. This is going to change the environment of the world. This is going to make the world a better place. How much effort am I going to put in to dig for this? Take a look. The last paragraph of the page on 533. And inspiration for sustained meditative, meditative efforts can be found in the verse, quote, if you seek it like silver and search for it like buried treasure, then will you understand the reverence of God? That's what it says in Proverbs, meaning that just like a person searching for a buried treasure hidden in the depths of the earth will make a huge effort digging for it since he knows it's definitely there right it's there you you know it's there so you'll put in the effort in the same way you must make a huge effort to re reveal the fear of heaven which is treasured the reverence of god which is treasured and hidden top of 534 well away in the depths of the understanding of the heart of every person since you know that it's there you know it's there All we need to do is dig. That's and all we got to do. It's, it's so interesting because it's like as if you're not going to find it, but you it's there and you know it's there, but it's actually acknowledging the effort. And you have to put that effort in to, 
to and know that it's there to so it's like Hashem's acknowledging your effort as well. Right, right, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. Effort goes a goes a very long way in this. In the journey, the, the destiny, the journey is definitely um, as valuable as the destination. Yeah, but very I mean, well, well is there, you might not ever get the destination. You might never find the treasure, but you got to know it's there, even if it's hidden. Right. Jim's hidden. Right. It's about believing. Right. It's about believing. It is. You, it is. In that which you cannot see, it's faith. Yeah. In other words, you, you, I don't see the treasure, but I know it's there. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna dig. We don't see, we don't see God. We know that God's there. So. Exactly. Exactly. Same idea. We're gonna dig. We're gonna search. We're gonna work. We're gonna do whatever it takes. Because it's all worth it. Yeah. It's it's something that is valuable. Now it's it, it's very valuable. Do you know somebody once asked the Lubavitcher Rebbe, you know, we were saying how this is all connected to Moshe Rabbeinu, to Moses. This is all within the Moses within. Mm-hmm. And this is the function that, it, that a, general, a generational leader serves. So somebody once asked the Lubavitcher Rebbe, what is, the, what is your role? So he said, I'll tell you what my role is. Imagine you go to an archaeological dig. Has anybody been to one of those? I've seen it on TV. Right. Okay. So you go to an archae- archaeolo- archaeological. I shouldn't have picked the story where I can't pronounce the words. No, I'm kidding. Archaeological. <laughs> what is it? Archaeological. Archaeological. Okay. There we go. Thanks. You go to an archaeological dig. Um, everybody can dig, by the way. The skill in archaeology, archaeology, is not the digging. The skill is knowing where to dig, and not knowing how to dig. Because if you are just focused on the digging itself, you might be digging in the wrong places, and you you might not be uncovering the treasure. You might be wasting your time. Not only are you going to waste your time, you're uncovering dirt unnecessarily. Whereas were you to dig somewhere else or to dig differently, you might uncover treasure quite easily. So I have a story the, that could go with this for later. Okay, okay <laughs> awesome, awesome. Looking for. So he said, let me, he says, this is my job. We're all here to dig. Figure ourselves out. But I'm here to show you how to dig and show you where to dig. So what you come up with is not dirt, but treasure. And this is what the Rebbe told him. He said, Freud knew how to dig. Freud didn't know where to dig because what did Freud uncover in people? Their id. Their id, their lusts, their, their, their all drive. The, all for, the negative stuff. All the negative stuff. He said, Adler knew how to dig, but didn't know where to dig because what did Adler come up with? Yeah. Similar, uh, similar story. The psyche type of thing. Yeah, similar, similar stuff. I don't know exactly so much about Adler, but he says, I'll t- "I'm here to show you what to dig. When I dig, you'll see what comes up. You're going to see treasure. When we dig deeply within ourselves, what indicates that we've been doing it right is we ultimately hit the wellsprings. We ultimately find treasure, 
If we don't find treasure, we're doing it wrong. And that's where the idea of a mashpia comes in, um, having guidance, a mentor, a rabbi, or, or somebody who can, who can guide us. He also, that's the ultimate point. It also helps you recognize what you found. Right, right. To recognize what you found and to recognize what you should be finding. Right, 100%. And, what, and the bottom line is, if I develop this feeling of reverence, reverence, what will indicate that is behavior. It, it boils down to behavior, which we'll talk more about um, next week, but it has to ultimately, how does this impact my behavior? How real is my relationship with God? How real is the treasure that I came, that I came up with, my connection to God? Well, how much is it going to motivate me? Okay, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. <laughs>